Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Yesterday, we began our series on refugees and asylum seekers in our current moment, looking at the historical development of the system and the specific situation with Haitian people right now. Just weeks ago, Afghanistan news coverage was wall to wall. But just as quickly as the Afghan government's stunning collapse brought attention, Americans have largely turned their focus to other things. The Afghan community here in the Bay Area has kept up the work, though, pushing to get legislation authorized to aid in the refugee resettlement and working to make sure that the newly arriving here have what they need to find security, peace, and opportunity. Joining us to discuss these ongoing efforts is Harris Mojadidi, a member of the Afghan Coalition and a community organizer based here in the Bay Area. Welcome to the show, Harris. Thank you for having me today, Alexis. So I know you've been hosting some town halls uh, kind of under the aegis of the Afghan coalition and with the the broader community. Um, What have those been like and how have they gone? Yeah, Alexis, so I would have to begin. Can I just before um, before moving in, I think the last six weeks, I just want to acknowledge for our Afghan-American community, our diaspora community has been perhaps the most challenging time for many of us who have loved ones, including myself, who are still who still remain in Afghanistan, who we are trying so hard to get out. And so I really want to just acknowledge a space for my Afghan brothers and sisters who have been organizing, you know, uh, so hard, so much the past month. And so I really just want to acknowledge that. But no, um, thank to, you for that. I appreciate that. Harris. Back to your question. So sort of these town halls that we've had um, in the past six weeks, I've had three different town halls with four different members of Congress. And really, uh, the the intention of these town halls have really been to raise awareness of what's going on in Afghanistan. Um, and for for many of our Afghan American community, we haven't necessarily utilized constituent services from different congressional offices or federal agencies. And so part of that has really been how to utilize constituent services, how to make those asks, um, but also advocating to lawmakers um, on the record and really learning more about the resettlement process. So we've had really a good mix of different folks, whether they're lawmakers at the federal, state, or local level, or resettlement agencies at the state or local level. And so it's been extremely beneficial to our community to really learn what the process is. Hmm. Are you a member of the Bay Area's Afghan community? What are your hopes for resettlement efforts here? And what are your concerns? And even if you're not a member of the Bay Area's Afghan community, we welcome you to share your reflections as well. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Harris Mojadidi, a member of the Afghan Coalition and a community organizer. Um, You know, you mentioned at the top that this last six weeks has been extremely difficult for uh, Afghan people here in the United States and and across the world. 
How, how are you feeling? Like, do, are you, do you have the support that you need within the community in order to keep going with this kind of um, organizing? Um, yeah, Alexis, I would say that this is so for, just for the audience, for, for the listeners to know, uh, we've had a we've had the Afghan community has had a presence in America for the past 40 years. Mm-hmm. And for the majority of the time that we have lived in this country, sort of our suffering has been in silence. The world really hasn't known what Afghans have been through. And I would say in the last six weeks, it's the first time that many of us felt seen, heard. It's the first time that people are looking at what's going on in Afghanistan and saying, wow, that sucks. I I feel for them. And so I would say in the that that has been really heartening to just feel seen, to feel heard, to know that we're members of the community. I would say um, that in terms of for me as a son of refugees, like it is so crucially important that communities are receptive to refugees that come uh, and that these refugees really receive the support services they need to be successful. Now they have, they're coming in and they're really scared, right? They left under really traumatic circumstances. And so acknowledgement of that will be key to their future here in the U.S. And that's really, I think, what is the most important thing for me is ensuring that that these refugees receive the services that they need. I'm thinking about, you know, the young Harrises that haven't been born yet, right? And and for me, looking back at my own childhood, the son of refugees, what could I have had that would have made me more successful? And so it's really an opportunity. Really, I think the Afghan-American community is uniquely situated in that we've had these two huge waves of refugees almost 40 years apart. Mm-hmm. So you guys are settled and kind of ready to help. I want to bring in Tom from Moraga. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hi, thank you. Go ahead, Jiran. Can you tell us your story? Thank you. I, I wanted to have our home available to an Afghan family. I contacted the Episcopal Church because they were handling refugees, the Catholic Church, Jewish Family Services, as well as Afghan restaurants and Afghan uh, placement uh, organization. I could not get anybody to supply a family to us, to our home. Our children are grown. So I had two-bedroom, two-bath, living room, dining room, kitchen available for free. I mean, no rent, no electricity, no cost to anybody who would come in and take the home. And the home is in Moraga. And every organization said it's too far away from the Afghan community. It is too far for services. The school district is excellent. I found on next door that an Afghan family that had come in late August was desperately looking for a place. I contacted the individual, whose name is Azad. I contacted him and said, our home is available. You're welcome to take a look, see if you would like it. They moved in last Friday, but no organization, no organization would place a family. You know, um, Harris Mojadidi, I, I assume that this moment is also a time when many of these organizations uh, of all kinds are under just tremendous strain. So for people who want to help, like Tom, who are just like, our home is open, um, what's the right path for them to, to find a way to help? You know, that's a really good question. First, I just want to say, Tom, thank you so much for your generosity of spirit um, and and. That, that just it, it warms my heart to know that there are people out there like yourself who are so supportive of this. And I would say, Alexis, there, there are a lot of nuances in the situation right now. You have to think that our exit from Afghanistan 
um, for lack of better words, maybe wasn't as, wasn't planned as to the to as as well as it could have been. And so there are a lot of um, there's a lot of constraints on resettlement agencies. You also have to look at the previous administration, right? And there was a lot of resettlement agencies that either had staff that were laid off or they didn't receive adequate funding from the federal government. So it's we're playing catch up for lack of better words. That's what I'm seeing on the ground from various resettlement agencies. And we're um, really inundated with really the different types of requests. I'm, I'm no expert in immigration policy. I'm not a lawyer, but there are so many gray areas. And I think we as a community, both in the Afghan American community, but sort of in the broader community are, are trying to make meaning of that as we go. And so I think that, that, me, that might be one of the reasons why Tom wasn't able to, to hear back just yet. And also the other, the, other, the other part that I will say, Alexis, is that um, in recent years, we've had a high portion of refugees that have come from Afghanistan. This is not a new process for us, but the process does take time. The vetting process could take months. I have um, a family member who's in an air base, uh, a military air base out in the East Coast, and it may take several more months for him until he is properly vetted and released. And so I think um, as much as we might think, you know, our refugee population will be here right now, it might actually take several months mm. for, for us to actually see the numbers that, mm. that we're gaining. You know, can you just tell us, you know, explicitly for people who are out there thinking they'd want to help, like what are the agencies and kind of main service providers that are helping with resettlement efforts here in the Bay? Yeah, I would say Jewish Family and Children's Services, they are a top tier resettlement agency. They're, they are doing great work. The International Relief Committee is doing great work. There are also um, the Afghan Coalition is one as well. It's a direct service provider after folks have been resettled. But there are, uh, I would say, just at the top of my head, those are two really good organizations doing the work. Uh, Santa Clara County recently just approved a million dollars, uh, and it went towards mm-hmm. Jewish Family Service Center and the International Relief Committee. And so those are uh, just locally here, two, two organizations that are doing a great job. Yeah. You know, um wanted to talk with, with you about how this is affecting you personally. Um, do you still have family? And what are the challenges that even you as someone who, you know, is interviewing people in Congress, what are the challenges that you really run into in trying to make sure your family um, is safe? Alexis, there are no words to describe the fear and pain Um that I'm experiencing right now. I have family members in Afghanistan who are extremely high at risk, um, mm-hmm. who belong to you know the a uh, uh, high risk community and population, and so mm-hmm. it is this almost. There's no words to describe the the fear that I have. I have these girl cousins, Alexis, who they have they've graduated at the top of their class from the American University in engineering. Um, and they have so much potential. And then I have, they have little siblings who now can't even return to grade school. Mm-hmm. Uh, having older siblings that have, you know, baccalaureate post, you know, uh, high, high levels of education. And so for me, it is, I would say it's this, it's almost this debilitating fear of, of the unknown and the uncertainty. And at the same time, how I'm choosing to channel it. And I know how my community is choosing to channel it is by being supportive to, to the, our new arrivals. That that's that is exactly the energy, the fire that is keeping this work alive. Because as you mentioned in the beginning, Alexis, like we have already as a 
as a nation, we've sort of turned to the next page. The next news cycle really started August 31st when that last um, plane left Kabul. And so for, for folks in my community, it's really about how do we continue to advocate? That's also a part of the intention of these town halls is how do we keep putting pressure on members of Congress and, and keeping this story alive because it's so important. And what happens in Afghanistan is so critical um, to really what happens in the world. And I think um, that's something that we're missing. And, and the fact that an entire gender, you know, Afghan women, they aren't able to go to school, they aren't able to be members of, of society, that, that impacts us here, even in America. Are they going to apply for refugee? Like just someone, someone in Afghanistan, uh, like your cousin, who maybe, you know, didn't work with the American government, but went to school uh, and would like to leave because the Taliban is in power. What's what's their route to getting here? I think we're discovering. I think we're still learning what that route is, Alexis. But I think the the most important thing is, and this is this comes from a place of privilege, right? And in, in my, for me, being in in the United States, knowing sort of the process, being able to apply for them. But your your average Afghan that may not have a family member or a loved one in in America or in Western Europe. It, it becomes a lot more difficult, right? There are no embassies, there are no offices. Right now, there isn't an official recognized government. And so um, there. What, what I am hearing, though, are folks are leaving by foot, either to the border in Pakistan or they're going up north. But even that, there's a lot of danger. And even... Even I just I read an article yesterday that as people are leaving into Pakistan, they're having to pay, you know, fees just to, you know, just to leave, just yeah. to cross legally. Yeah. So how do you feel about the response from our legislators whose districts are here in the Bay Area? Oh, goodness. We are so lucky, um, Alexis. We're so grateful to have amazing, amazing a, con- a congressional district in the Bay Area that um, they are our champions. They are, they are our voices. We have, um, and again, part of part of this, and I'm going to say this, Alexis, is that they have Afghan American constituents, right? We as a community, um, we've had a presence in the United States for the past 40 years, but we're not a we're not a big population, right? And we we have a population here in the Bay Area, in Los Angeles, in Northern Virginia, but your average congressional rep doesn't necessarily. Mm. Uh, have Afghan constituents or Afghan American constituents, but I think our our elected officials, the federal, the state, the local level, they have been outstanding. They have been so supportive. They've been receptive, and again, just an immense amount of gratitude for our elected officials being our voices. One of the things that we you know sort of expected going um, into this uh, into this crisis was that. Afghan people might be resettled here in the Bay Area because there's, you know, all the of the pre-existing community that, as you mentioned, has been here for, for 40 years. Um, but the other sort of countervailing force is that the cost of living here is so high. So how are you seeing those two forces come together? And what does it mean about how many Afghan refugees may end up here in the Bay Area? Yeah, Alexis, that is, you know, it should be no different for for anyone that follows local politics, uh, that housing is the biggest obstacle and hurdle um, to resettling refugees here in the Bay Area. Now we are, California is expected to receive about 5,200 refugees. That's about 5,000 refugees of a total 95,000, which is a very small proportion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think 
the sentiment within the Afghan American community, right, is that we have the infrastructure here in the Bay Area. And when I mean infrastructure, I think it's very important to to name that we have we have direct service providers, we have language interpreters, we have businesses, we have butcher shops that sell halal meat, we have mosques, we have really the community aspect that will that is going to be uh, crucial and critical to the success of these refugees. And so um, our work in the community is really advocating to 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 find pathways um, for folks to get to the Bay Area to, to find, you know, folks like Tom, right, that can open up their home and, and take in refugees. Yes. Given that you're dealing with this situation in which there's been, you know, a surge of support for Afghan refugees, how have you seen the the situation at the southern border with, you know, Haitian asylum seekers, obviously very different country, very different situation. But has it changed the way that you might have seen that situation at the border? You know, Alexis, at the last six weeks have changed my entire probably framework of of those fleeing for their safety and security. My own parents, Alexis, are refugees from Afghanistan. I could have never actually conceptualized the the process and the journey that they took to ensure safety for my siblings and myself. And so even though I'm a direct right i'm i'm the i'm the product of refugees i could never have understood it without without the backdrop of the last 6 weeks and so my heart is with the haitians at our southern border who they really they want to be safe right those people are risking their lives so that their children can have can have a safe and, and a safe future and i think no one should be denied that yeah in working with these legislators is there a sense maybe that there could be a broader reevaluation of our refugee processes as a result of what's happening with Afghan refugees right now? You know, I'm, I'm hopeful, Alexis. I think that it is, I think, again, I think sort of what we're seeing with the Afghan refugees and then in the last week with, with the Haitian refugees, I think sort of those two juxt, those, those two issues juxtaposed together will warrant, um, I think, debate in Congress. I just, at this moment, I think there are so many, uh, legislative priorities, infrastructure right. rights. And so I'm not sure how this fits into that. And even just looking at like the, the numbers, right, the, the U.S. Senate majority is, is hanging on the balance of, 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 of right. and so I'm, I'm not sure what that looks like. But I do, I am hopeful that we will see some meaningful reforms. I know that um, if I can just say that for one possible avenue for at least in Afghanistan or anywhere is um, to, to, to get folks out is the humanitarian parole process, but it's it takes it costs five hundred and seventy five dollars to file every application. Now I have sixteen family members, Alexis, and that's going to cost that's a lot of money yeah. just to file the application. And you need to actually be a financial sponsor. And so what 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 I'm hopeful for is that in possible upcoming appropriation bills that there might be funding to waive those fees. And I think we're um, going to have to leave it there on that positive note. We've been talking about the Afghan refugee resettlement efforts here in the Bay Area with Harris Mojadidi. Stay tuned for more Forum after this break. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, 
from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes on our watch season two, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.